This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Hi, Craig. What's it like having a baby? I don't know. I don't have one yet. But wait. <laughs> Why to ruin the goof? Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. <laughs> My name's Andrew. We already got ATV beat you to that goof because ATV is much more prepared for my paternity leave than Overdue is. Well, but. ATV doesn't require you to read whole books. That's true. I do. I only have to watch whole TV shows. Yeah, but they're different. It's different. Yeah. See, my if if I had been if the intro had been left to me, I would have said that the secret to good podcasting is to come to every single one confident that this one you're gonna absolutely screw up. <laughs> <laughs> Even after almost 400 episodes, you can't come to one being like, "Well, I've done this like 380 other times. This time will probably also be fine." <laughs> Mm. You always have to be scared of of doing a book bad and making people mad at you. Well, what if you also came to it not with a it'll be fine energy, but with a I'm going to do great energy. What if you See, show that's up hubris? That's called hubris. <laughs> and it's bad. I... There are lots of examples throughout fiction of hubris being bad. Mm. I just can't shake the usefulness of self-deception that allows a baseball player to ever get in front of people and swing a bat because most of the time they don't do good <laughs> and they need to lie to themselves or else they'll never even try. That's one strategy. Well, it's not my strategy. Okay, we'll see how your strategy plays out. Welcome to this book podcast where Andrew's going to tell us about a book that he read um, and I've never read it. <laughs> for my paternity leave i am finishing up the his dark materials trilogy the original one um so back in january was it i think it was january of this year i read um the golden compass which was also published as northern lights mm -hmm. in 1995 now i'm reading the second one the subtle knife which was published in 1997 and then probably in a couple of weeks, depending on how we schedule this, we will talk about the Amber Spyglass from the year 2000, the yeah. distant future. <laughs> and in case you needed any additional kicks in the pants, Andrew, uh, one mm -hmm. of our Patreon supporters, Allison, also requested that we read this book. So good that our interests aligned yeah, to thanks, make Allison. that happen. So um, we talked about uh, Philip Pullman some... Yeah, He's the author. He wrote a bunch of books. He wrote these, and then he wrote a couple, uh, sort of shorter stories in the same universe. And now he's doing a whole new trilogy. Yeah, let me let me run that down real quick. Please he, do. So you gave the dates for this trilogy, and then he is working on the Book of Dust trilogy, um, that he says addresses consciousness, and then also joked that it could be dubbed his darker materials. Whoa, nice. What Very good, good joke. joke. Um, it started in 2017 with La Belle Sauvage, which is set about 12 oh. years before 
Northern Lights, Golden Compass. And then the next one, The Secret Commonwealth, uh, which I think the main character is age, is like age 20 in that book. So I'm not sure where that lines up. Um, but that is due out in October of 2019. Um, from like relevant facts from our Pullman bio last time, uh, we talked about him moving around a lot. As a kid, his dad was in the Royal Air Force and was posted abroad, so he grew up in Africa and Australia, and they have re- plenty of places where the Union Jack flies, I guess. The trouble is deciding which broad to be posted to. Um, Philip Pullman also then <laughs> later became a teacher, which helped inform how he wrote some of the kind of preteen teen kids in these books. Um, he also read a lot of Paradise Lost as, as an early student, which informs these books in some pretty direct ways that I wish I was uh, more prepared to talk about because that's a as we are currently working on our Hellboys series I was thumbing, thumbing around for what might come next that you know a year or two from now and I was like oh, I don't think we could do another riff on that whole business but like we're having what to, on the whole Dante? on the whole heaven and hell business oh yeah like I don't know no, I'm sure we can right cover that Milton. adequately in yeah. one Just one in small one. batch podcast <laughs> Um, and Pullman's whole deal is he kind of is like an anti-authoritarian guy. Like he's made the church mad with these stories and by the specifically like some Catholic groups. Um, and he also doesn't like how the government of England has created a national teaching curriculum. He's quote quoted as saying it's ruined teaching. Um, sure. Cause he doesn't like how it's all standardized, but He has also, I didn't see this when we talked about this last time, Andrew. He wrote a book called The Good Man, Jesus, and the Scoundrel Christ, uh, which is about a good guy named Jesus Uh and his brother Christ, who cynically uses his brother's legacy to found a powerful church. And I just kind of toss that out there as I think like the potentially nefarious ends of people in power seemed to be a big theme of the first book and i'm interested to know how they play into this book um, specifically religious power Mm -hmm. um in an interview with slate in 2015 for the 20th anniversary of the first book uh pullman was talking about um some of the milton stuff but also talking about his intended audience he's a guy who is like rallied against uh, putting age banners on books. This was a thing like 10 years ago where he was like... You mean you like sh- making books for kids? Well, like... Or like specifically for young adults? Specifically saying how old kids should be when they read it because he's like, you shouldn't create this false linear progression of what you can and could read. I think that comes through in, in, in this book because if you'll remember, the Golden Compass had... Like giant armored battle bears. Yes. Which I thought were very cool. And then in this book, it has what if we remove the funding for your science project? And wouldn't that be wouldn't that be bad? <laughs> okay. You see what well, well how do you think that relates to what he's talking about there? I'm just saying like it's I think the one thing is something you can identify with more as an adult, whereas if you're a kid, you're like, oh, 
Oh no? <laughs> funding? What's yes. funding? Okay. Yes. It uh, this is the quote. If you asked what sort of audience I would like, I would say a mixed one, please. Children keep your attention on the story because you want to tell it so clearly that nobody wishes to stop listening, and the adults remind you not to patronize or underestimate the intelligence of the children. That's uh, fair. So yeah, that's something I wanna I wanna get your uh input on as we go in terms of like what does this feel like to read it now and how how able are you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of like a younger reader and then like this is the middle of a trilogy so i when we kind of get into what is actually happening in the story i want to talk about how that how that's reading to you i found like a huffpo article about why all the second movies and trilogies are great and then i found a quora post about why they're all bad and people just <laughs> people just can't seem to agree. Quora, like the yeah, the Yahoo, like the it's the it's Yahoo answers is to Walmart as Quora is to Target. Yes, which is you can make yourself feel better if you shop there instead, but it's really not that different. Correct, <laughs> Um And I also like I was kind of disappointed. Can that you please put a dollar in the Correctamundo <laughs> jar for me, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's going into your kid's college fund (laughs) um and yeah i was i was a little uh saddened by how few people had decided to write about this this middle trilogy thing that i ended up on quora but nonetheless (laughs) um andrew can we just do a quick rundown of the first book like what happened in it what do we need to know all right. There's. It starts with this little girl named Lyra Bellacqua, who is being raised at Oxford College. She doesn't think she has a mom or a dad, but she does, and they're both just kind of distant, weird authority figures who you don't get a really good read on. Okay. One is a Lord Asriel who is doing all these experiments with this thing called dust, which is very mysterious and somehow ties the whole universe together. Good. Um, her mother is. This woman named Miss Coulter, who her motives are mysterious, but she does kill children. So you'd be the judge of whether she's <laughs> supposed to be a good person or not. Okay. Um, and in this in this world, the main thing to know is that everybody has these little animal things called daemons that accompany them and they serve as a sort of companion, but also as a fill in, fill in for like someone's soul. Okay. Okay. Um, and there are lots of rules governing like who's like you can't touch someone else's daemon and daemons can't get too far away from their hosts most of the time. Um, the form your daemon takes is often reflective of some part of your your personality. Like it's a whole thing. We talked about it about it last and they're, time. C- can you remind me? Are they physical? Like they are like animals they're actual, that take they're up They're actual physical things. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, um, and what is the like... What what's the broad plot of the first book? Like this, I, this is about as much world world building as I remember. Yeah, uh, kids are disappearing. Okay, and Lyra, who is being taken from Oxford by Miss Coulter because Miss Coulter is dimly aware of something about Lyra that's special. Um, Lyra has left the college, and then she's at the at Miss Coulter's house, and she's like, "Eh, something seems off about this place and this lady." And so she escapes because she's continuously bothered by the disappearance of one of her friends. Um, she 
runs into this the group this group of people called Egyptians who I've been informed since our last episode are modeled on gypsies, which makes sense because we said Egyptians, and then we described the stereotypical fictional gypsy. Yes, <laughs> it's a group of people without a, a real home who are primarily you know um, characterized by their sort of roaming and their um, I don't know their their trade and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, all the Egyptians are going to this big summit thing because their kids have been disappearing too. Uh, Lyra, because she is a rambunctious, energetic little moppet, manages to get onto like this expedition team that's that's trying to hunt down these kids, and she finds essentially that Miss Coulter and this group of people that she is associated with are doing these experiments on kids and people where they try to separate their daemons from their bodies um and lord Azrael is imprisoned and then there's big armored bears and lyra befriends one and then she helps him become king of the big bears (laughs) and the book ends with this big exposition filled conversation between lyra and lord Azrael, who is talking to her about basically there are multiple universes it's real and something about like dust connects them all it's it's i don't you know nobody really understands what it is maybe it's sin maybe it's something else but um i'm gonna kill this kid and open up this (laughs) portal to this other world and the the book ends with lord asriel going into this other world and then lyra following him in okay that Um, that all makes perfect sense yeah no it makes tons of sense And and we knew from the the introduction to the first book that the first book would be in this fictional universe with daemons and like it's you know there are some elements that are recognizable but not a lot of them the second one would occur mostly in something approximating our universe and then the third one would do a lot of traveling in between this book does a lot of traveling in between i would not say that it i don't think that it mostly happens in our universe even like there is this third universe sort of between them that connects the two of them okay can you real quick remind me what is the Golden Compass? Because all the books in the series are named after like all a right. thing. The Golden Compass is this. It's a thing called the alethiometer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big golden clock looking thing sure. <laughs> or compass looking thing, I guess. It's got a lot of symbols around its edge, and its hands swing around and point to different symbols. And each one has you know a series of different meanings associated with it you know it has like primary meanings but then it moves down and there can be like dozens of, of meanings for some characters based on you know where they show up in the sequence of, of hands and normally looking at this at how this thing works and understanding what the symbols mean and and getting any real concrete advice or meaning out of the alethiometer is though you need a big reference manual and a lot of years of study but something about Lyra is innately attuned to this thing. Okay. And so almost instantly, just by spending time with it, she can get advice from it. And so eventually, like in the first book, you you hear they talk about the alethiometer just working more. But in this one, the alethiometer is almost a... It's almost a character. It's part character, part... Not deus ex machina, but sometimes stuff 
happens just because the alethiometer says it has to happen. Mm, and sometimes okay. that's as much like a motivation for, for doing things as, as characters have every once in a while. Does it? But does... It, yeah, it becomes almost like a, a conscience or a, or a guide that okay. you just kind of consult every once in a while. Sort Yeah, it sort of reminds me of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Maybe not in that like same tone, but as a like sentient resource or something I like guess. that. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, I know so, I read that book, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, so what, do you want to talk about this book then? Yeah, let's talk about this book. So I told you earlier that this this book, second books in trilogies are interesting because I do, like if you talk about The Two Towers, which is the middle book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We have really talked like about that, that one. book. That, yeah. one has a lot, that one has a lot of good stuff in it. It's got mm-hmm. like Ents and the, the destruction of Isengard and... You know, not all the mortar stuff is is amazing, but it's got all the golem stuff and the you know the big spiders is very memorable book. Yeah, is that the one where Gandalf and Saruman Skype? Is that in that one? Where they Skype? Don't they like talk to each other through an orb at one point? No, I mean there are orbs, but they don't talk to each other through the orbs. Mm, I'm misremembering. I'm thinking of something else. Well, I mean Saruman and Sauron. Oh, Skype they Skype all the time. <laughs> they have a Discord that they're in all the time. Oh man, they both probably d- do love gaming, posting dank Wonder, memes. Can you game on a Palantir? I mean, I you upgrade your graphics card in there, run some games on it. You run like classic Doom easy. I'm sure you <laughs> can run Doom on a on a watch. No, that's the one where where Gandalf returns from his death in the previous book as Gandalf the White. Oh, sure, yes. Um, sort of freeze the king of Rohan from the thrall of Saruman and then goes and, and overthrows Saruman so that Rohan can have Gondor's back in the war that is coming instead of a bunch of orcs coming down from behind Gondor and squeezing them. Yeah. For all the folks who haven't uh, participated in our uh, live recordings for Patreon supporters, Andrew has a big map of middle earth behind him right now that is powering this this knowledge dump it's really not it's really that i've read these books a lot of times and then i know all the stuff that happens in I them anyway point being <laughs> that book and if you talk you talk about that book you talk about like empire strikes back even though it's not a book it's still very much like the the middle yep thing like they all feel like they they all have to do a bunch of stuff they have to continue the story from the first book yes they have to ideally be their own thing and they have to be the bridge that gets you to the third book. And and often the second the second book in a trilogy is it often ends on a downer note. Yeah, because you know that you're going to get that upswing in the third one. Yeah, so like Empire ends with Luke's defeat basically at the yep, hands of Darth Vader. Um Two Towers ends with Frodo alive but taken into Mordor by the orcs and Sam alone with the ring. Yep. Having to having to decide by himself what comes next. Um, this book similarly ends with a with a bit of a downer, but I would say overall it feels more like the first half of another book. Like the, the first the Golden Compass felt more or less self-contained, even though the info dump at the end made it clear that that there was more coming. And so I think I said at the time that it felt a lot like the first you know, the first chapter of some story. Yeah, but it can still have a a satisfying, like, arc in and of itself. Um, 
Yeah. And it, and it, I'm not saying it doesn't have any arcs that satisfy. Like it, it is a little bit about, about growing up and about, I mean, it, it talks a little bit about the differences between adults and kids because there are some, like in, in the first book we talked about how Damon's when you're, when you're a kid, your Damon can kind of shift around in yeah, form yeah. Um, to, to, reflect its own moods and what you need from it and that kind of thing. But then once people become adults, their, their, uh, daemons settle down into an established form and that it either, it, it both tells you something about yourself and also like reflects who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of a two way street. So there's a little bit of that going in this, going in this book, but it does feel like it's mostly build up and like mostly just introducing things and not a lot of concluding. Okay. I guess if, if, if there's one overarching thread in this book, so we, we meet this new character in this book named uh, Will Perry, who is around Lyra's age, around 12 years old. And uh, he has, he is living with his mother who has some kind of, sort of OCD seeming mental illness. Like it it manifests as a bit of OCD where she has to do specific actions to feel a bunch of times. And it also manifests as a, as a bit of paranoia. Okay. But, um, so Will has been trying to, and, and his, his dad is out of the picture. Like he disappeared on some expedition many, many years ago. Nobody knows where he is. Cool. Um, so Will has been trying to hide his the, the full extent of his mother's condition from kids at school because he doesn't want the authorities to find out because he doesn't want to be taken from her and put into some kind of you know orphanage or, or something. Like he he is trying to maintain this tenuous status quo, but there are these guys who keep coming around and like asking for stuff and like looking for stuff in their house. Um and so he leaves, he ends up leaving his mother with a, with somebody he thinks he can trust. Like a, um, boy, I think it's like a piano teacher or something. Like yeah, it, it's some kind of, yeah, it's, it's some kind of not close acquaintance, but somebody who you spend just enough time with to get a read on them and like the kind of person they someone are. Who's, <laughs> someone who has come to his home before or just somebody who, who is kind of acquainted with, with both of them, but also isn't a narc. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's very that's very important is that you, you don't surround leave your, your mom with a narc. Yeah, you gotta surround yourself with a lot of people who aren't narcs. That's that's how I live my life. Yeah. I don't know any narcs. Yet. Think about that. How do you who narcs on the narcs? <laughs> who narcs the you narcs? <laughs> so this piano teacher is not a narc? Not a narc. And okay. so Will um he he has this this feeling that that bad stuff is going to go down. Mm. So he leaves his, you know, he leaves his mother in the care of this other person. He goes back to his house and these guys come back and they're digging around looking for stuff. And before they can find anything, Will, trying to defend himself, basically pushes one guy down the stairs and kills him. Yo. And so Will is like, well, there's no coming back from this, huh? <laughs> And so he runs away and... Oh, just leaves his mom, though. Yeah. Like, okay. he's... Yeah. So... And he goes to Oxford, like, our world's Oxford, not not Lyra's Oxford. Okay. And 
as he is contemplating, okay, where am I going to go? Where am I going to hide? He sees this sort of weird like window. Like it's, it's just this, this weird spot of, of air that just looks different yeah. from other stuff. And he goes through it and he finds himself in this completely emptied city. Hmm. And very quickly runs into Lyra, who has come into this world after following Lord Nazriel. So we are really picking up right where the the first book left off in that in that sense. How much of the book is this like set up with Will? Um, it's just the, it's the beginning part. We don't we actually we don't get to the subtle knife until like halfway through. We 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 do a lot of establishing of Will and Lyra's relationship because she starts hanging around with him. Um, like she doesn't, she doesn't, she's been cared for most of her life by other people. So she doesn't really know how to cook or anything. So Will does her a couple of kindnesses and Lyra assumes that he is there to help her. And then she consults the alethiometer and the alethiometer is like, yo, you got to help this kid. (laughs) Okay. Don't do anything else. It's your job to help this kid now. (laughs) So are they just like living in empty town or do they go back to his world? They hang out in empty town a little bit, but he is trying to find his dad. Okay. So okay. he's got these letters that his his dad wrote like 10 years ago. Like he, he his dad disappeared when he was a baby. Um and this is it turns out to be what those guys were looking for. Um cuz it turns out that his dad like accidentally stumbled into Lyra's universe. Yeah. And even though people from our world don't have familiars themselves. Like if you spend enough time in Lyra's universe, not familiars, but daemons. Yes. Um, he he just picks up a daemon, that... like while he's hanging out there. It's like a b- cool bird. I'm <laughs> I'm sure there are like reasons that Pullman explores for like Probably why the, that would maybe in the third happen. book it might talk a little bit more about the nature of daemons. But and, I kind and... of. I, yeah. I at a surface level I accept that as a premise. Like if everyone in that world has one mm-hmm. and it 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 could literally open another universe to like cut one away from someone like maybe you just yeah, you go in there and it just kind of comes out of whatever the ether of existence is. Well, yeah. and and Lyra after hanging around with Will a little bit, she has some sense that he does have a daemon, it's just like inside him instead of outside. Okay. So that's, you oh, know, okay. daemon equals soul, like that's a pretty clear. Yeah, that's true. That's a pretty clear line to draw. Sure, sure. Um so Will's looking for his dad. Lyra's been told by the alethiometer, "Hey, you got to help this guy Will." And even though she and so there's this there's side plot where she gets distracted, like she wants to keep doing her own thing, and someone takes the alethiometer from her. Um, it's this guy who lives in in Will's world, our world, but is actually from Lyra's world and has been this whole time. Mm. Um, so he takes the alethiometer and he turns out to be in league with Mrs. Coulter, who is just like omnipresent and always evil. Because she was not like um, defeated in the first book or anything. Like, no, she's not still really. Out there. No, she like the the Lyra and her ragtag bunch of misfits did free a bunch of the kids from that facility where they were being experimented on. But My yeah, notes... it, it was not. She did not suffer any kind of like permanent defeat. My notes refer to that organization as the Gobblers. <laughs> From the first, yeah, book. the the general ablation board, 
and they are called the Gobblers. But the Gobblers <laughs> the don't factor. Most British thing I've heard. Yeah, so no, far. it doesn't. It doesn't factor into this because Mrs. Coulter is just kind of a. She's just kind of flitting around from scene to scene, being really horrifically <laughs> awful. Okay, so they're dealing but hunting, but trying to hunt Lyra and the alethiometer down. And that's that was stolen by a dude from her stolen world. by the student. So she and Will um, go to confront him because they basically like they, they say, you know, we could try and steal it from his house, but we don't even know where it is. We would definitely get caught. And so they they just go and like try to confront him because they, they'd say they, they tell themselves even if we're just in that house for a little while and then we get kicked out we still have a chance to like case the joint okay and uh this guy whose name is lord boreal um he ends up he just he just brings the alethiometer out and he's like yeah the, if i if you tell the cops i'm an adult and i'm like a knight here and <laughs> They're going to believe me over you. Oh, great. Okay. And your murderer friend who you're hanging out with, who there was a very good picture of in today's paper. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, You got to go get this thing for me f- from this other universe, and then I'll give you the alethiometer back. Okay. Um, So they go back to Nothing Town. And Nothing Town, we've seen some kids there, but there are no adults because there's something there that happens to the adults. Oh. That the kids can't see. Does this place have like have an actual name? I don't want to brand it with my own broken brain nonsense. It's called like Sitagazi or Gazi. It's some kind of I don't I didn't want to pronounce it because I can't. So, All right, I was so we'll to just keep calling it nothing it. town. That's fine. Just it has an empty town. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. So, so there are no it's it's Lord of the Flies in there. There's no adults. Kind of, yeah, because the, the adults, you know, the specters all all come and get. Oh, it's ethereal kid nation is what it is. <laughs> I guess. A for a sort of forced kid nation. Yes, true. Um, so Lyra and Will go into this universe. The thing that they're after turns out to be the subtle knife. There's a lot that's subtle about it. Like it doesn't seem very sharp, but actually it is. Mm. And it's got like a cool design, and it can also cut open windows into other worlds. And it's a way to travel between universes. Okay. So could, will does it, in, does it still in, like work as a knife? Like, could you still stab someone with it? Yeah, like okay. you can definitely stab people with it. Could you? One side of it is kind of for stabbing, and one side is for cutting rifts in the fabric of time and what space. What would happen if I used it to butter toast? Do you think you would cut the butter really well, and probably also cut the toast because it cuts through literally anything with no effort at all. I'd probably cut like the plate my toast was on by accident. And to the then... ex- yeah, to the extent that the the hilt that it is, you know, the sheath that it is in is very, very, very carefully constructed so as not to let the knife move because otherwise it would just effortlessly slice through, slice through the sheath. That makes and okay hurt people. Yeah, Pullman has truly thought of everything. Okay, that's good. Uh, and so in the struggle, um, in the struggle for this subtle knife, like some guy, some tween teen has it and is trying to learn how to use it. He's taken it from the, it, this older guy who has had it this whole time. The bearer. Sure. Yeah. Um, and in the struggle, Will gets a couple of his fingers chopped off and that's what identifies him as the new bearer of the subtle knife. Well, that's not very subtle, but okay. And so the old guy gives him the rules of here's the subtle knife. <laughs> is this wait, this is not the old guy that sent them on the quest. They have No, there's another old guy who 
bore the subtle knife, but then had it stolen from him by this teen tween. And then Will gets it back and kills the teen tween. Oh, well, no, he doesn't kill him. He like pushes him out a window and then the specters get him. Well, <laughs> specters don't like the subtle knife. That's a story that Will tells himself when he goes to bed. <laughs> well, no, the specters definitely got him. Okay. Well, um, here's the rules for the subtle knife. First, never open without closing. That's a reference to the rifts in space and time. Okay. Can the knife Second, close them too? Yeah. Okay. Second, never let anyone else use the knife. It is yours alone. Third, never use it for a base purpose. So none of your butter toast shenanigans. Okay. Uh, fourth, keep it secret. If there are other rules, I've forgotten them. And if I've forgotten them, it is because they don't matter, which is how I like to think of rules and laws yeah, in that's general. <laughs> if I can't remember it, it's not a law. If I don't know it, it's not important enough for me to know, and so I don't need to know it. That's a good point. Hmm. I still I've been talking like, for a I while. I still feel like I would end up using that knife for stuff that I should. Yeah, you would break the rules of the subtle knife, and probably some bad stuff would happen to you. I would use it to open Amazon packages. Because I don't have a knife for that. I end up using my keys. That Keys are fine. What, what about scissors? You know, they make scissors. It's like two knives together what that are made you, for cutting. Could you make subtle scissors? What would they do? Think about that. I, it's it's not. I'm. I am gonna think about it, and you can email Philip Pullman and be like, <laughs> "Think about this subtle scissors." So at this point, we a acquired, subtle letter opener. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Um, we have acquired the titular weapon item of the book. What it like? Con- compare and contrast Will and Lyra as like protagonists for me. I think you came out of the first book like really digging Lyra and that whole deal. How do you feel about Will? Are you interested in him? Are you excited that he's the bearer? I am interested in Will because Will's had to grow up fast, but he's also still a boy. Okay. And so he's had to bear a lot of stuff with his with his dad being gone and his mom needing help. And he... You know, the first time his mom had like an episode, he believed her and he thought, oh, yes, there really are like literally things after you. And then later Mm. he learned to recognize it as a sign of some kind of mental distress. And now that he's in this other universe fighting like these invisible specters with this magic knife, he's like, well, maybe she was on something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, that's a that is a trope I'm familiar with. But they both they both have each other's backs and they there is this characteristic that they both share where the other one thinks, you know, they each think that the other one is very brave and heroic and admirable. But oh, they think that's of, cool. They think of themselves as like, a you know, as cowardly or like not up to the demands that are being placed on them. Neat. I like, like that. A sort of. Yeah. Is it, and it's not, I don't remember, it's like close third, it's like not first person or anything like that. Yeah, is it's it? close third. Okay. And um, and there's actually when um, Will gets his fingers chopped off, uh, Pantalemon goes over and like licks the wound for him and is very like attentive to... And that's Lyra's daemon, right? That's Lyra's daemon, yeah. And and that is significant because there's there are very strong taboos against anyone touching anyone else's daemons. Like daemons don't touch other people typically. Like Pantalaemon just sees Will and knows this guy needs this guy needs a daemon right now, so I'm gonna hmm. go do it. That's cool. And that sort of Pantalaemon's buy in 
sort of brings Lyra on board. Not that she wasn't before, but it cements this like bond between them. How does that this... that need and this bond between them needs to 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 exist and to be believable for the cliffhanger ending of the book to work? Okay, sure. So we'll get to that. How yeah. does how does she feel during this section where it's like we're on Will's journey right now she was so distressed when the alethiometer got taken like she she had come to rely on it so much to infuse her with a sense of purpose and tell her what to do next Mm, okay that you know when when she got it back she was like i'm gonna be good now i'm not i'm gonna do exactly what this thing tells me because (laughs) because i tried to disobey it and it went super bad okay um, so let's pull in some of the other threads. Um, there's this guy, Lee Scoresby, who was in the first book, but I don't know how much we talked about him. He's from the country of Texas in Lyra's world. Yeah. And he is a like a hot air balloon pilot. Those are that's a, that's a long sentence. I wasn't it's, expecting. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and so he he is one of the people who Lyra met in her journey and instantly won over because of her spunk. Okay, sure. And lead Scoresby sort of sort of he has no children, but he says of of Lyra multiple times, like, if I had a daughter, I'd want to be like Lyra. Cool, 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 cool. Sort of saying in a roundabout like I think of you as a sort kid, of way as my kid yeah. or something. Yeah. Um okay. so so Lee and, and Lyra are not together in this in this book anywhere, but Lee is on his this separate journey. Um, along with intermittently some of the witches who we talked about in the last book. Okay. Um, to find this to find this guy whose name is a Grumman. He's a he's supposedly like a German scientist fella. And and he apparently has some information about this about something that will help Lyra in in whatever quest it is that, that she is on. Okay. So it's most of the time it's the adventures of Lyra and Will hopping between worlds, like getting cool knives. And then <laughs> occasionally you'll hear from Lee Scoresby who's who's hunting down this guy. And um is are either so like how backburnered is the Lord Asriel dust stuff that seems pretty well like pushed to the background for most it, of this. It, it isn't. It, it isn't. It isn't like it is. It is backburnered, but also it's what everything is about. Well, like I mean, well, so like, are people talking about it as they're like going about these? Yeah, like people people talk about it. You you never see Lord Azrael, but what what ends up being the case is stuff gets escalated like a lot. Um, okay, so I, I was gonna get there. I have another. Yeah, yeah, Lyra yeah. meets this like scientist lady in our world, Will's world, and she's been doing this um, research on dark matter. Which, if you're if you're not aware of what dark matter is, essentially, when people study the universe yeah. and like the gravitational pull between objects, the the equations or and, and and theories and stuff that we know to be true about how objects interact with each other, like gravity and all this other stuff. It doesn't make sense unless there is just more mass out there, like kind of holding stuff together. Sure. But we can't observe it. And so the, we, either everything we we know is, is wrong, which just doesn't mathematically make sense based on anything we know about, or there is this secret type of mass that we can assume is there because mathematically it has to be there, but we can't detect it. And that's dark matter. Okay. Um, and dark matter ends up being dust. 
essentially. Sure. Is it, there? It, yeah. Is it talked about as like it's the same in both worlds, or it's like each universe has a version of this, or this is the thing that's binding all of the universes together in the first place? Like, is there a distinction made between how it functions in in each universe, or is it like it's one to one? Just this world calls it dust, and this world calls it. Dark it's matter. basically that but we still don't know we don't know the full nature of it except that it ends up being related to like literally angels yeah and then we start talking about holy wars where like lord asriel is leading a movement that is going to rise up and challenge the you know the hierarchy of the church but also in doing so actually literally god yes <laughs> And this is the thing that I've like heard about this series and Pullman talks about a lot in any interview that people do with him and like why his books like people when they came out at the time people were like why is Harry Potter getting all the attention like this dude wants to kill God like what are we doing um, and it, I don't remember us talking about it too much in the first book so I was kind of waiting for that shoe to drop well because it wasn't it wasn't made as explicit like th there were definitely. Like what Lord Azrael was doing was frowned upon by the church. Miss, Mrs. Coulter is working essentially on behalf of, of the church or whatever, you know, movements or, or forces sort of control it. But it's presented in this book as this thing that goes back to like Adam and Eve and the fall, where it is this push and pull between like faith and obedience which represents like pre-fall Adam and Eve and then like knowledge and information okay and scientific discovery which is the you know the the apple and the and the serpent and that that whole thing sure so and just just so i'm clear the lyra's world and and the church they're in is also of a like christian theology that we would wreck do they Yeah use? there's like there's like a bible and stuff and like do they like nobody is are people talking about Jesus or is it just like it's God? It's nobody really mentioned. Nobody really mentioned. Let me just do a search for G yeah, no results found. Okay. No one's talking about I was Jesus. just wondering because like it's pretty explicit in terms of how he talks about what the book means and how he talks about folks like C. S. Lewis, who, you know, does put like Jesus in books and things in in fantasy books. So I just want to make sure that what's going on here. Okay. No, he's no, he's talking about about the church and about God, but there is not like Jesus as a mini boss or sure. something that you have to fight before you overthrow God. Like if it, it sounds like a nineties arcade game, there probably was that one would, would have made everybody really, really mad about fighting God. <laughs> okay. It would be, a, it would be a four player sort of quarter eaten, eaten game in the mold of like the, Ninja Turtles or the the Simpsons yes arcade yeah game, you'd think. spend a lot of money and hopefully it would get you into heaven that's you how spent it works like 20, 20 bucks defeating God and all it took was an hour um do you, how did this how did all this knowledge come into the book like what's who reveals this information you just kind of told it to me but like how do the characters learn this information man it's some of it is info dump at the end so Mrs Coulter is chasing down Lyra again. And Lyra and Will are with the the witches. Uh, Will's still looking for his dad. Okay. Um, and a witch like sees Mrs. Coulter, and goes to kind of take her out. But she spies Mrs. Coulter doing this stuff. Like she is 
seducing and then like poisoning Lord Boreal to get information out of him. And then she sees the witch and then you, she is in command of these specters, which we haven't even gotten to talk about much yet. Okay. Um, but the, these specters, they're kind of dementory. If yeah. you're familiar with Dementors from Harry Potter, yeah, even though this ask. book came out like six years before the first Harry Potter book to have Dementors in it. But they're sort of these these mysterious beings that suck energy out of people and they only see grownups and not kids. And it is there is some as yet like not totally defined difference between adults and kids that is that comes down to like innocence versus experience basically like once you become experienced enough to take an interest in the world these specters can feed off of you and what they do is they just suck out anything in you that thinks anything is good and bad and they are ba- they, they basically replace your brain and your will with like that spinning lol nothing matters gif oh god <laughs> it's like every like cartoon about sensationalized like worries about the boob tube like or what was that Batman movie where Jim Carrey sucks everybody's brains through the TV? Batman. Was the third one? Yeah, was that, Batman um, Forever. Batman I think? Forever. Yeah. yeah. Edward Enigma in his in Jim Carrey's <laughs> finest performance, t- sticking a blender on top of a TV and sucking your brain into it. You remember a lot more about Batman. I saw Forever that movie in theaters. Thank you very much. Oh my goodness gracious. But so so what were we talking about? We were talking about the specters and why they took why they took over Nothing Town and how Miss oh, Coulter so, can like so command the, them or something. The specters are are tormenting this witch, and from this witch we get basically that Lyra is is Eve reincarnated. Whoa! <laughs> or like she's going to be the next Eve, and Lord Azrael is setting up for this big battle, but you know for between the church and his allied forces. And we get through, again, all through exposition, through other characters. Like, this has happened before, but there was, like, one vital piece of the puzzle that the anti-god folks... I think the book... (laughs) In the book, you call them good guys. I don't want to, like, go all in on calling, like, the god killers good guys, because it's not... (laughs) <laughs> that seems like maybe too simple, but the book. I, yeah, I want to. The move book does carefully here. But what you're you're saying is that the book uh, ascribes to like, yo, we gotta. Is Lord Azrael a good guy, or does he think That's, he's? See, a good I don't. Guy? We don't. We don't see him in this book, and and it was pretty ambiguous in the in the last one. But he sounds like what if what if Lord Voldemort, but instead of a evil that we that is at the periphery of many stories it's like a potential good but we need to know more about it to know what it's up to i have no idea how lord huh. Voldemort works into that i think you just wanted to say another harry potter thing no, well like smart. there are books where he like doesn't <laughs> where there are books where he he has an agenda that everybody's talking about and people are serving it but you don't see him directly for many many books um and so you see like manifestations of him and but you always know that he's evil. Like it sounds like we don't know what Azrael is up to until this big info dump. I don't think the Voldemort thing works, but I think everything else you're saying is basically true. All right. Well, that's fine. <laughs> well, so so d- I'm going to get to this when we get to the cliffhanger ending, but essentially you've got all right, you got these specters who just suck energy out of people. They don't yep. kill anybody, but you might as well be um and then you've got 
these angels who are watching over who it turns out are watching over like will um where the lead scoresby plot comes back in is this guy grumman who he's looking for who he finds is actually will's dad sure sure um who had snuck into another you know another dimension somehow dimension or universe thing Will and his dad meet very briefly and just barely realize who each other are before a witch who was spurned by Will's dad kills Will's dad. Oh, God. So Will's dad is dead. But in all of this, like they pick up that the subtle knife is the thing that the anti-God folks were missing last time. Oh, okay. And this is the thing that that could tilt this giant battle in the direction of Asriel. So what we've got is... Set up on one side, you got Mrs. Coulter and the church. Set up on the other side, you got Lord Asriel and the people who, as presented by the book, are arguing in favor of like reason and information and and scientific research and and stuff. Yeah, empirical, breaking free of the of the impositions that the church places on them in these universes. And then you've got Will, who is being, he's being. Okay, so after Will's dad dies, there are these angels who show up and we're like, we're watching over Will's dad the whole time, but only because we knew he would lead us to you. Sorry, um, we didn't come, save him, I guess. <laughs> come with us. Okay. Well, he's not, he's not, now that we have you, he's not important, so whatever. Oh, God. Come with us. But Will goes back to where Lyra had been, had been, you know, staying under, under guard of the witches and all the witches are, you know, all the guards have been sucked dry by the specters and Lyra is, is gone. Mm. And so what we've, we've kind of got this, my sense is that it's almost like a third path. Okay. Where you've got. Yes. The, and I don't, but I don't know if it's a third path or if the godless logic reason side also needs Lyra and these angels just aren't aware of it yet because clearly Lyra is super important, but her importance takes a bit of a backseat in this book to establishing will and the knife and this like giant battle between God and not God. Sure. <laughs> so I think, I think you can, if there is a, if there's one arc that makes this book a standalone thing, it is the will and his dad arc okay. and establishing, establishing will and, and establishing this knife as a powerful thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. As but an important it, tool. But it ends at this, you know, you, you get a lot of build up and then it ends with this thing. And that's the end of the thing. It what it sounds like Lyra might get a a bit of a lesser deal in this book. Is that the case? I mean, you definitely like what you get, but it is not. It's not a book. It's not a book all about Lyra's adventures. Like she okay. has to share the stage with Will, and then to a lesser extent, Lee Scoresby, and then to an even lesser extent, there's this, you know, the the dark matter scientist whose name escapes me at the moment, but is set up to be just enough of a character that I'm sure we'll talk about her when we do uh, the third book. When we do Amber, the third one, Amber Spyglass. I Amber think it is. It, yeah, um, Amber Watsits. <laughs> Uh, and but, uh, I kind of feel like we're playing a Zelda game at, at this point. Like, okay, <laughs> I went to this dungeon, I got the golden compass. Yeah, I yeah. went to this dungeon, I got the subtle knife. Now I need to get the amber spyglass, and that'll let me get the master sword, and then we can beat God. Yep. Can <laughs> as we as we kind of wrap up, can you remind me, or maybe you haven't told me, I don't know. Like, what 
what are people specifically objecting to that the church is doing? Does the book dwell on that? I mean, I know in the first book it was because they were stealing kids and cutting off their demons. Well, you, you got through through Oxford. Okay. And it's and again and when this book is talking about this this juxtaposition between obedience and faith and logic and knowledge and information, that is basically it is like the the church is demanding the one thing at the expense of the other thing. Okay. And I I think the book is is setting us up to be on the side of of the information and the scientific research and stuff. But from the from the jump, as you explore the version of Oxford that Lyra lives in, yeah, yeah, you you do get this the sense of this uneasy relationship where Oxford is not in the they're not in the church's bad graces, but there's this feeling that there there's definitely tension there because it's you've got this institution of learning. And you've got this guy associated with it, Lord Asriel, who's doing all this research on dust, which ends up being some combination of like original sin and dark matter, dark matter and all this <laughs> stuff. And and throughout this book, you kind of get signs that the church and then also uh, the, not the church are like marshalling their forces and just getting ready for this big fight. Okay. Over the, over this like fundamental thing that goes all the way back to like the fall from grace, like from the garden of Eden. Okay. I just couldn't remember if there was like a, any section of either book that was like, here are, here's a scene where we explicitly see how church practice is like oppressing people. But it sounds like it's more, it is like a, just a very, uh, obvious and bad obstacle to like growth and gathering knowledge and things well and it's, and it's it is hard because you're asking for the scene where that happens and it happens in tiny no that's okay so and that's, yeah. throughout, the, so, throughout the entire book and i've i've ex, i've explained them to you already so you're looking for maybe something that feels bigger than what what do you mean what, what have happens. you explained to me so far that they have that just the the setup, like the like the Oxford stuff and the and the original sin stuff and the fall from grace stuff, like that's the answer to your question. But okay, there's no. I'm I'm wondering, like, are there com- like are you wandering through communities of people where you see the church, even no. if it's just a snapshot? Okay, no. that's that's what I was asking, because it the the like original sin stuff feels more. It is not abstract to the characters in the book, but it is not their lived experience. Right, they're being told that that happened like they were not there in the garden no they no they weren't there (laughs) even though she is being told she is the new eve though i get that but i'm still one of the reasons i'm still kind of hedging on it is at the end of this book i still don't know if i'm supposed to think lord asriel is good or not (laughs) okay like i know that i like will and lyra okay i don't know if they're on anybody's side yet Mm. so yeah that's where that's where we leave off and it it leaves it does make the discussion sort of odd because it just kind of ends before the questions that you have get answered and so we're gonna have to do the next one well yeah (laughs) but i but i think reading the the third one a little bit closer to the the first one because i had to i went back and i had to listen to that whole episode just to remember like what happened not necessarily what happened but what we 
Sure. What we definitely spent enough time talking about versus what we had alighted over a little bit, as happens when we do episodes of our podcast. Yes. Are there any bears in this book? They're mentioned. Never seen. That's a shame. Maybe they'll come back. It's unbearable. I just got bear real, with the real, rest of the series. It's a huh? real bear of a problem. Yeah. I'm really I'm but I, I am bullish on the prospects of bears in the next book. Yeah. It's gonna be a real bear market. In fact, if we ever see a community of bears and there is a bear market. Whoa. Is a bear market inherently bad just because it's run by bears? Whoa. <laughs> Would bears find that term offensive? I bet they don't like it. I bet they would hate it. I bet bulls are pretty bullish on bull market, though. Yeah, they probably like bull markets. Andrew, thanks for telling me about this story. But then a bull in a china Uh-oh. shop is bad. That is a bad So, thing. I don't know. It's a whole, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real ask. mess of a metaphor. We should ask the Golden Compass, have him tell us about it. Um, yeah. Thanks for telling me about this story, Andrew. Welcome. Uh, if folks... Whenever you listen to this, have opinions, send them in to OverduePod at gmail.com or, or hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash Overdue Cod. This is our fish cod. podcast, Overdue Cod. <laughs> Overdue Pod or Facebook.com slash OverduePod. Andrew, if folks need to know more, where should they go? OverduePodcast.com. We have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. And uh, Patreon.com slash OverduePod is how you can give my new baby money directly and also craig some too <laughs> whatever andrew's baby is um, more important our schedule whatever it is will also be up at overduepodcast.com and on our on our social media feeds um we don't i think have a full idea of of what's gonna be up there right now as we record this in early june because nobody knows when a baby's gonna come the due date is a suggestion yeah and my prediction my biggest question that hopefully we will have solved by the time you're hearing some of these other episodes is like what else did we record and do before we went into paternity yeah, mode? <laughs> like I think we have a we have a choose your own adventure thing planned. I think we have at least one or two guest episodes yeah, that we're yeah. working on. So yeah, th- there will be stuff. But and then after a month and a half or so, probably I'll come back. <laughs> let's hope I'll be here. We'll see if Andrew's still here. Yeah, we will see. Um, cut cut us up with the ending, Andrew. All right, try to be happy. <laughs> So subtle. I just cut right to the point. That was a headgum podcast.